Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 57. For we are to God the fragrance of Messiah among those who are being saved. So we are a fragrance of that. <laughs> wow, you smell good. I go, well, <laughs> well you smell good too. Mmm, mmm, that really smells good. Yeah, you got the fragrance of Messiah on you, brother. Shalom, friends. This is Avi Ben Mordechai. And you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. On this episode of Real Israel Talk Radio, I'm going to continue where I left off on the last broadcast, where I was talking about the promise of messianic redemption. And if you want to go back and review that program before you listen to this program, then feel free to do so. So if you're following along, then continue to stay with us and we're going to drill down deep and dive into this idea of the promise of messianic redemption and talk about what happened with Yeshua. So as we talk about this promise of messianic redemption, remember, we are basing this entire teaching on a concept that is found way back in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 17, where there are two deaths that are mentioned in that verse. The two deaths are mentioned from the Hebrew text, where it says, mot tamut. That is, Yehovah says to Adam, if you eat from that tree of the knowledge of good but evil, I am telling you, in your dying, that's a physical death, you are not just going to die. You are going to die. That is a second death. And in that Hebrew text, it changes its structure to give us the word tamut, which is a future tense of the infinitive verb just before it, where it says, to die, you will die. Mot is physical, tamut is spiritual, because it's a death that is coming. So we need a promise of messianic redemption if we are to escape that curse and return to Yehovah and gain salvation. We need to break free from that curse. That is done through Yeshua. So now let's take a look at John eleven twenty-five through 26. Yeshua was saying to Miriam and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me. Though he may die, that is, subjected to physical death, of course, he shall live, that is, saved from the second death. You're not going to die in the second death. You're going to live because you're being taken out of the second death because it went on to Yeshua. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. 
Again, that's the promise of an escape from the second death, because in him you will never die. Do you believe this? Yeshua asks. Well, I would hope that we will all say, yes, yes, absolutely I believe this. Yes, that's important. My friends, don't ditch this faith. Because if you do, you are entering into what is called DIY salvation. Do-it-yourself salvation. And if you go there, based on what I understand in Scripture, I'm telling you, you are on your own. That's right, you're on your own. And you will go into a physical death, and then when the time comes you're not going to be able to participate in the first resurrection because that is a blessing only given to the believers in Messiah. You get the blessing of the first resurrection, not the second resurrection, which will lead to death, the second death. So don't ditch your faith. Stay the course. I can't be more serious Stay the course. So Paul writes in regards to Yeshua's statement about the second death in 2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16. For we are to God the fragrance of Messiah among those who are being saved. See, that's that principle of becoming an overcomer. You're being saved. It's a continual sanctification process until the resurrection. So we are a fragrance of that amongst those who are being saved. In other words, I come near you, you come near me, and you go, wow, you smell good. I go, well, you smell good too. Mmm, mmm, that really smells good. Yeah, you got the fragrance of Messiah on you, brother. Mmm, you got the fragrance of Messiah on you, sister. You get the point? That's that fragrance of being saved. We can smell them a mile away. Those are the true ones. But what do we do among those who are perishing? Among those who have chosen to not receive this redemption in Yeshua? What do we do with them? Do we smell them? Oh, yes, we do. And it's a body odor of the spiritual dimensions. You know, close encounters of the third kind. You remember that old movie a long time ago? This is body odor of the third kind. That body odor of perishing is an aroma. <laughs> Paul says, <laughs> an aroma of death. That's mot from Genesis 2.17, leading to death. That's tamut from Genesis 2.17. Mot tamut. To the one we are in aroma a smell, a fragrance of death leading to death. But to others who have the redemption, we are an aroma or a fragrance of life leading unto eternal life. So we've got that blessing of that first resurrection in there. We don't stink. We do not have the perishable soul or neshama 
of death. And so Yeshua says in his teaching in John 5, 28 through 29, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and they will come forth. Those who have done good, now the Greek says those who have done the good, what's going to happen to them? They are going to come to the resurrection of life. And what about those who have done the evil? They will come to the resurrection of condemnation. So it's the good. And what is the good? It's the Etzahim. Etzahim, the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2.9. Yes, Genesis 2.9, it says, in the garden is the tree of life. That's eternal life. That is called the good. That's what Yeshua is calling it in John 5, 28 through 29. But the resurrection of condemnation is to those who have done the evil. And what is the evil? It is the other tree in the garden, based on Genesis 2.9 and 2.17. That's the resurrection of condemnation from being connected to the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. That is the DNA genetic linkage, the DNA genetic imprint that we came into this world with. And we have to get disconnected from that, friends, if we want to see salvation and eternal life in the world to come. That is the Jewish teaching of the Olam Haba, the Olam Haba, the world to come. That is the kingdom of heaven. And so we need an escape from the resurrection of condemnation. With that idea said, let's go back into the Hebrew scriptures to confirm the idea of the contempt or condemnation. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble. That's tribulation. Jacob's trouble is the tribulation. That's mentioned in Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, when Yeshua is talking about the great tribulation. It's this idea of this trouble. It's a trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Or, from the Hebrew, The idea is saved. This is the idea of a biblical salvation, to be delivered or saved. Everyone who is found written in the book. What book? The book that is mentioned in Exodus chapter 32, verse 32. When Yehovah says to Moses, someone who is not of the redeemed nation, he says, I will blot them 
out of my book. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, says Moses to Jehovah. But he says, if not, I pray, well, then just blot me out of your book, which you have written. And Jehovah answers in a response to Moses and says, whoever has sinned against me, referring to being genetically imprinted and linked and connected to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the sin against Jehovah. That's what it is. He says, I will blot him out of my book. That's the book of life. Okay? So this is really, really important to understand. And then verse 2 of Daniel 12, and many who are asleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to eternal life or everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt or condemnation. So the point here is that there are two resurrections. One that leads to contempt and condemnation, and the other that leads to eternal life because of being delivered or saved. So I would think, therefore, that we should all understand why Shaul, or Paul, writes this whole thing in Romans chapter 7 and 8, concluding with these ideas in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, saying... Therefore, there is now no condemnation or contempt to those who are in Messiah Yeshua, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Messiah Yeshua has made me free from the law of sin and death. Why? Because the law of sin and death is in the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. But the tree of life is the law of the spirit of life in Messiah Yeshua. So this is so fantastic. This is our salvation. We are no longer connected and linked and genetically imprinted in the soul, in the nefesh, in the neshama of our being to the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. And now all we're waiting for right now, at the sound of my voice here, is the first resurrection, which then marries or connects our nephesh and neshama inside with the outside redemption of the body through the first resurrection. Then we're going to be connected. Then we will really, truly be born again And we will truly understand this idea of what it means to have salvation and eternal life. Thus, we will learn about Genesis 3.19, which is the principle, For dust you are, and towards dust you shall return. Here is the word that was given to Adam, Adam. In the sweat of your face, You shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of her, not it, but out of her, you were taken. 
for dust you are, and to the dust you will return. Now, I'm reading to you this verse from how I have come to translate it into English from the Hebrew text. Your English text says simply, for dust you are and dust you will return. But as I read it in the Hebrew text, this is just jumping right off the page to me. Because it appears to me to be saying, for you are dust. Yes, we are. But the second half of that statement is so completely and totally profound. Yehovah says, to the dust, or towards that dust, you will return. It is in a future tense. Now, the root here is the root teshuvah, teshuvah. And for those of you that know just enough Hebrew to be dangerous, the word teshuvah refers to going in one direction, stopping, turning around, and going back in the opposite direction. In other words, making a 180-degree turn. So, you're going toward dust, says Jehovah. Oh yeah, you are dust. And that means you're going to die and you're going to end up back in that dust. But then, look at the idea here. It's a vav there, which means but, but. Not and, it's but. It's a conjunctive. But towards that dust, you will turn around, you'll do a 180, and you're going to come out and return from out of that ground. This was a prophecy. This was a promise This was a compassionate, merciful, and just promise from Yehovah given to Adam and Eve, telling them, all is not lost. Yes, you two really messed up, but it's not all lost. I'm going to bring you to a new life through resurrection. You're going to come out of that dust. And that is so beautiful. That's why he was giving them this kind of hope. Okay? So with this being said, let's now take a look at what Yeshayahu or Isaiah speaks about in Isaiah 26, verse 19, in the context of this salvation message. Okay? Isaiah 26, 19. Here's the promise, and it continues on. Your dead will live together with my dead body. They shall arise, awake, and sing, you who dwell in the dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, Dew is always a picture of resurrection in Jewish, ancient Jewish Hebraic thought. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. That is, those who have fallen, all of us who are dead, we are going to be 
cast out of the earth. That's where Paul gets his ideas. So this matches with Genesis 3.19, where it says, and towards the dust, you're going to turn around and you're going to come out from going toward that dust. They shall arise. They shall get up. Absolutely, they will. Paul, or Shaul, understanding this really well, he writes in Romans 8, verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, Messiah from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, says Shaul, you will die. That's the spiritual death. That's the second death. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body. That is, if you war and keep it under subjection and don't have a miscarriage in your spiritual walk, you'll have the first resurrection that you are going to face. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And he goes on with so much more in Romans chapter 8, which would be a podcast in and of itself. So this is so important to understand that when we are in Messiah Yeshua, we go through exactly what he went through. So this is what it means to be in Messiah, or as the many out there say, to be in Christ. This is what it means to be in him. Therefore, what happened to him? is also reflecting what's happened to us. There is a transfer mechanism that's taking place where he is one with us and we are one with him. What happens to him happens to us. We are linked. Therefore, we don't have that genetic imprint from Adam and Eve in the garden buffeting us anymore. So we come out from the dust So again, let's make sure we get this messianic redemption idea completely understood. There are two deaths. So we read in Genesis 2.17, Ki bayom achalcha mimenu mot tamut. Mot is physical, tamut is spiritual. And that simply translates to the principle in the day, that you eat from him. To die, or in dying, you will die. That is the understanding. And therefore, go to Revelation 20, verse 14. Death and Hades, or death and Sheol, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And so, We go to the Brihadashah, the New Testament, and you'll see a very interesting connection in the writing of the letter of Yehuda or Jude. Go to verse 12. He's speaking about false prophets who don't have that redemption. He says, they are clouds without water, 
carried about by the winds, the spirits, the ruchot, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. There's your physical death and your spiritual death. And again, as I mentioned from John 5, 28 to 29, Yeshua says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done the good to the resurrection of life and those who have done the evil to the resurrection of condemnation, which is a direct reference to the condemnation mentioned in Daniel chapter 2, a condemnation that we escape in Yeshua's name as it is reflected in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Again, Romans 8, verse 1. I'm Avi ben Mordechai. Come back and join us after the break. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 57. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi ben Mordechai. Let's continue where we left off here, talking about this great salvation message, the resurrection. Yeshua says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. (laughs) Well, of course, that makes perfect sense. You can't get to the Father except through resurrection. You cannot get to the Father except through resurrection because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of Elohim or the kingdom of God. So if you want to get to the Father, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to break your genetic connection, your GMO, your genetically modified connection seed of the serpent from Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, John chapter 8, and Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. All three of them. So... How are you going to get to the Father? you got to break that connection, folks. There is no other way around this. You can't get to the Father, according to Yeshua, except through resurrection, and resurrection only comes when your linkage, when your genetically modified linkage to the tree of the knowledge of good but evil is broken. That's the only way you can get to the Father, And then when that gets broken, you are written into the book of life and you are given life eternal and the first resurrection. So therefore, Deuteronomy 18.18 says concerning this messianic redemption, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. In other words, Yehovah is speaking to Moses, saying that to require this of somebody means that they are going to face a justice 
court. They are going to face heaven's court of justice. Again, let me say it again. They are going to face heaven's court of justice. There is a confirmation of this from Deuteronomy 18.18 in Revelation 20 verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. Now pay attention here. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing in front of or before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And so here you see all these books that are opened. That represents for each person. That's why it's a plural books or scrolls, because each person has to give an account to Jehovah for his connection to the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. Every person must give an account. Each soul has their own reckoning, their own personally assigned scroll or book. That's what it's saying. And they were opened. And they were judged by everything in those books. And each person was judged by everything in that one's book. Personally, one to one. But notice this, it changes. And another book was opened, which is of life. That's the singular. Because there's only one book that is written about in prophecy. And that is the book of life, eternal life. And so we don't need an individual book to represent eternal life. It's not like Jehovah is saying, okay, you out there and me here, I have my own book and you have your own book. No, we're all written into that one book because it's Yeshua's book. It's his scroll and we're written into his scroll, not our own. This is not a do-it-yourself salvation. This is a he-done-it-for-me salvation. I know, um, my English is horrible there, right? A he-did-it-for-me salvation. That's what this is referring to. And the dead were judged according to their works. Each person who had their own personal book or scroll that is going to be a condemnation to them all by the things which were written in the books. Well, you didn't do this. I came knocking on your door back in, uh, you know, 1958 or 1967 or 19-whatever. I came knocking on your door at such and such a date back then, and I said, hey, hey, hello, hello, hello. And you turned and walked away. Not you, you're listening to me, but this is a metaphor. And he says, you turned and walked away. So they were judged by their works, their actions of the things that were written in the books. That is, they turned away. And in verse 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. That's all of the peoples all over the nations. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his own work. Each one. And what was the work, the action? 
that they denied the redemption that bought them. They denied it. They said, no, thank you. I don't want it. It's kind of like getting a, you know, a package delivered by the postal service to your door and it's got your name written all over it. And you say, no, thank you. I don't want it. Bye bye. See you later, Mr. Postman. Take it away. I don't need it. I don't want it. I mean, mean, that's really the essence of what's going on here. And then death in Hades or hell or Sheol. They were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. That's what it says. And then anyone not found written in the book of life, they were cast into the lake of fire. It wasn't Jehovah sent them there. No, absolutely not. He doesn't send people there. That lake of fire was made for the serpent and his messengers and demons and all of those people submitting under him. That lake of fire was made for him. But ladies and gentlemen, if you are connected to that serpent through a DNA genetic imprint of his seed in you and you refuse to take the package that's been delivered to you, you're as good as him. Have any of you done any really serious rock climbing? You know, you're rappelling with ropes and different things. If you're hanging on a very steep cliff, maybe you have done that before, and you got more than one person on that cliff. What happens if you don't anchor yourself into that rock and you just kind of hanging out on the guy above you and the guy below you is hanging on you and you're not anchored in right? What happens if someone's anchor gives way? Well, I think you know the answer. You're all going down together. Okay? I'm saying if you're not connected to Yeshua, you're going to be connected to something else. You're going into the lake of fire in which the lake of fire was built for that one. The lake of fire was built for that one. And if you're still connected to him, you're going with him because he's going. Okay? So this leads us to the transfer of a legal contract. And Shaul understood this in his Jewish legal mind from Romans 6, 16 through 18. He writes, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, referring to the second death, or of obedience, the Shema, leading to justness or righteousness, which is also the same word, Sadiq, for the word justness. So Paul then goes on to write, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin under the law of sin and death, because you're connected to the tree of the knowledge of good but evil, which is the law of sin and death, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered saved you listened to the message and having been set free from sin referring to the law of sin and death you became slaves or servants of justness righteousness that's the idea of a bond servant This is precisely the reason why Paul uses this language in Romans 1.1 when he says, 
a bond servant of Yeshua HaMashiach. Or 2 Corinthians 4, 5, that we are bond servants. Or Galatians 1.10, a bond servant. Or Ephesians 6.5, bond servants. Ephesians 6.6, 6, Colossians 3.22, bond servants. Obey in all things your masters. These are all metaphors teaching us about the idea of a bond slave or a bond servant. This is the metaphor showing us that when we are disconnected from the tree of the knowledge of good but evil, when we get disconnected from that genetic imprint passed down to us from Adam and Hava, Adam and Eve, we change families, we change our status, and we are given a new status as a bond servant of Messiah rather than a bond slave of the serpent, the Nahash of Genesis chapter 3. Even though the word servant and slave are identical in Hebrew, you have to understand the context. So we're talking about a bond servant is in Yeshua's name. A bond slave is in the name of the Nahash, the devil, the serpent, the Satan, okay? If you want to be a bond servant, wonderful. If you want to be a bond slave, that's your choice, that's your call. But I don't recommend that you stay there. I don't think it's a good idea. Therefore, we learn from Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Daniel 12, 3. The blessing is to you, my friends, where it says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the firmament. That's going back to the Genesis firmament, the rakia that is above the earth. Now listen to this. And those who turn many to justness, justness, which is not do-it-yourself salvation. That's he did it for me salvation. Those who turn many to justness in Yeshua, you are going to be like the stars forever and ever. Which has an interesting connection, by the way, to Job or Eov, 38 verse 6, when Yehovah is speaking to Job and says, to what were its foundations fastened, referring to the world, or who laid its cornerstone, referring to the world and to the Messiah. When the morning stars sang together and all the B'nai Elohim shouted for joy. The sons of God shouted for joy. In other words, that's you and I, my friends. We are those morning stars singing with brightness and joy. In the coming of Zion, in the coming of Messiah, Zion. That is why it says in Daniel 12, 3, And those who turn many to justness are like the stars forever and ever. We're the morning stars singing of the brightness and the glory of the All-Eternal One. This is our destiny to bring this message to our world. So with all this being said, 
I now would like to take us over to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. This is an incredible statement, and it is just chock full of all kinds of fascinating and interesting pieces of information that I think we could probably go on for hours over it, but let's not. Let's just kind of stay focused here. First, let's go back and take a look at this idea where it says that there are 70 weeks determined for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression. What is the transgression? It is from the Hebrew word pesha, pe-shin-ein. And that is an idea, even in modern Hebrew, that refers to a criminal action. Something that is criminal or something that was done in a state of infidelity, to be unfaithful. So this prophecy is talking about finishing the action of unfaithfulness originally started with Adam and Eve, or Adam and Chava. And through this, it's going to make an end of sins, that's plural, sins, because it's referring to Pesha, and another idea, which this is going to come to, and that is the term iniquity, from the root, laven, to twist or to bend. And this idea of the sins is going to make a reconciliation to bring Jehovah back into connection and oneness with his people, at least those that want to remain connected to him. And this will come from the Hebrew word kafar, kaf fe resh, which we get the word kippur. It is the idea of making a payment or setting up a payment system for reconciliation. Kind of like if you're going to take your friends out to, uh, you know, a lunch or dinner. And you say to your friends or to your business partner or to your business client, ah, don't worry about it, I got you covered. That's the idea that you are going to reconcile the bill for lunch or dinner. You will square it up with the company or the restaurant that is providing the services and the food. That's the kafar idea. This reconciliation to square up that which is owed, that idea is dealing with the word la'aven in Hebrew, which gives us avon in Hebrew, that is ein vav nun. It's going to make a payment for what is called in English iniquity or simply a bent 
and twisted situation. That's what happened in the garden. And this is going to bring in everlasting righteousness. The word in Hebrew is tzaddik, and tzaddik is this idea of justness, that is, not do-it-yourself justness, but rather a justness that is paid for or covered, kafar, by someone else. That is the Messiah. That is our Mashiach. He is going to cover it for us. In order to do what? According to Daniel 9.24. To seal up vision and prophecy. That is all of Hebrew scripture. That is called Tanakh. That is the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. It fulfills all of that and brings in or ushers in everlasting justness, eternal justness. So this is something that Jehovah is doing. This isn't relying upon us. We are not the ones providing the justness. We're not doing the cover. He's doing the cover. He's doing the reconciliation. And it seals up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint, to anoint, to use the oil of anointing over the most holy, the one who is the Kadosh one, the just one, the holy one. For example, in the book of Acts chapter 3 verse 14, but you denied the Kadosh One, the Holy One, and the Just One, and desired a murderer to be granted to you. Or, Stephen says in Acts 7.52, Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them, which showed before the coming of the Just One, that is, the righteous one, the holy and just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. So the point that is being made here is that this most holy is the Messiah, the just one. And that's why he is called the word, which is in Hebrew, devar, which is directly related to the inner sanctum of the Holy of Holies, where the ark was kept in the temple or in the house. That inner sanctum in Hebrew is called Devir. It's from the same root as Devar or Hadvar, the word. The Devar is in the Devir. The word is in the holy place or the Holy of Holies. It is to anoint or make the holy place the place of the anointed one, the Mashiach. And so we learn in Mark 10.45 the following, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The Hebrew word there is kafar, to give his life a reconciliation, a covering, 
a payment for many. That is so beautiful. And so this opens up the door now for us to understand 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6. For there is one Elohim, or one God, and one mediator between Elohim and man, the man, Mashiach, Yeshua, who gave himself a ransom, or a cover, or a payment, or a reconciliation, a kafar, like a kippur, for the covering. And this is connected to Galatians 4, 4 through 5. For when the fullness of the time had come, says Shaul, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, referring to born under the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. That's called the law of sin and death. He was born under that. Why? In order to redeem, to reconcile, to cover, to make a payment on behalf of all men, a kippur, for those who were, in fact, under the law of sin and death that is attached to the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. For what purpose? For what end? That we might receive the adoption as sons, because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This is what this salvation is all about. We'll talk more about that when we come back to continue on this story of the messianic redemption with Yeshua and salvation. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. This is Real Israel Talk Radio. Whoa. 